Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry podcast with me, Philip Eidson and Darren McAnthony, chairman and co-owner of Peterborough United. Well, from a football perspective, pretty good week for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, to be one of the last see you, last Monday. Yeah, we had a Tuesday midweek game, a uh, bit of a shitter. So we drew 2-2. Um, the games you'd expect to win, so that was mm-hmm. a bit frustrating. But to be fair, October was a long month for all teams and we played seven games. And the worst part probably was a lot of the games were in the rain. And we're watching like the Hull away and Wigan away, thinking, my God, your legs in that rain, how tired you must be. Yeah. But the lads, they weren't at their best against um, Shrewsbury on Saturday, first half. Shrewsbury could have been 2-0 up early on. But like I said about them, they have that little thing inside them where they can, once they click, they can, you know, come alive. They can come from behind if necessary and they can certainly bounce back. So in the end, comfortable win, 5-1. Got goals in that yeah, team. Sariki Messi did, uh, did what he does. And um, since he's been converted to a striker, we converted him last February. He's played 18 league games. He's got nine goals, nine assists, and he is unplayable at times. So he's starting to fulfill that potential. While I bought him as a nice little gem a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, he started like in the Nike Academy, like non league really? Nike Academy. Yeah. yeah, he didn't have a club, and he was at Grimsby, and we bought mm-hmm. him from there. But himself and uh, Jono, who's now the leading goal scorer in League One, uh, clicking. And the best thing about it was Sammy, who hasn't been at his best in the first eight, nine games, he's getting his fitness up, and I think he gets frustrated he could have scored four goals. Now, the reason I'm happy he missed is because the previous games, he might have had the odd chance, but that was a game he dominated in. He got in the right positions, he was getting forwards. So I know there's a barrage of goals coming for Sammy Schmodick. So it was good, but I don't table watch. I know everyone wants to get excited about the table. I couldn't give a fuck about the table Mm -hmm. until May. Unless they end the season. <laughs> Only joking. It's a good place to be if, you, if the season's <laughs> yeah. ended tomorrow. You know what? And everyone used to ask me back at a time when it was done, I wouldn't want it to end. I wouldn't want it to end. I wouldn't want to win a promotion like that. If we win a promotion or when we win a promotion, we do it playing 46 games. It's the right way to do it. And I still feel like that today. But look, so far so good. Onwards and upwards. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good place to be. But like I know football can kick you in the bollocks and... We go again tomorrow, we go again on Saturday. Keep on but if, coming. Look, the lads keep playing like they're playing. You know, they're, they're, they're tough not to crack. So uh, long may I continue, my friend. How was Bradford? Oh, dear. Oof. He wasn't good. We lost to Barrow. Okay. So we lost to, since we last talked, we lost away at Bolton. Yeah. And we lost away at Barrow. Jeez. And not good. You know, not good throughout the entire team. Are the neighbors getting restless in Bradford? Yeah, they are, and which is sad. Is that good? You haven't got fans in the stadium at the moment? Yes, but I think we've talked about this. And I'm not sure if it's on the pod or whether we've talked off mic, but, you know, not being in the stadium drives even crazier stuff on social media. Sure. Um, so I'm sure that's not helping. Do you go on a lot of the forums, the fans' forums? I'd, I just kind of stick to Twitter. You don't post anything on forums? No. Um, back in the day, maybe I went on every Hardcore now and fans, then, yeah, 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 yeah. No, you know, Twitter's replaced all that for yeah, me. That's nice, kind yeah. of where I follow. Is there any owner on there? Is there anyone on there from high up in the club that can get hit on Twitter? Um, our uh, head of communications Oof. is as active as he can be Brave. on Twitter. Yeah. Does, does he put his head above the pit he when does. he lose? You know, I think, and he'll do some videos and he'll Fair try play. and be, um, you know, I think it's, it's hard when things are going like this because mm. what can you say? But he's, um, he's an employee of the club. You can't have a go at him. No. You can't dig people like that out. It frustrates me if I see people having a go at my staff. Yeah. Because it's like, give them a fucking break. Yeah. They're already underpaid. They're already under pressure. They're doing a good job. They don't deserve flack because the team's not doing well. 
And also, I mean, it embarrasses me when I see people having to go at players on social because they're not trying to have a bad game. I mean, no. sometimes you just, the fact is you built a team that's not good Do you enough. see a lack of technical ability as opposed to a lack of heart and, and trying? Well, that's where the difficulty is this year is I see a little bit of both. Okay. You know, um, there's some players there that we've got some history with. Yeah. That what, what's different for us from normal is, you know, you always, you have players on a team where you feel you can really connect with mm -hmm. and associate with and support them. And there really isn't and there hasn't been anybody for the yeah. last two or three years that you can really say, you know, he plays for us and, yeah. you know, I'm proud of that and I connect with him and he shares my values and, you know, all those kind of things where mm -hmm. you get players you can get behind. I got that. And so I just don't think there's a real, the connection with not being in the stadium is waning. And that's probably the biggest thing I'm worried about is that it starts to become more of an us versus them because you're not in the stadium you together. You can't have that at a football club. I hate that when you see a tide turning. I've always been touch wood pretty lucky for 15 years I've never had that yeah. you know I've had a couple of run-ins with some angry fans but I've never had a big wave go against me and that must be horrible particularly when you're putting your money into something and mm -hmm. you're putting your heart and soul into them I don't know if the German puts his heart and soul in but if you're putting your heart and soul into a club and then what you're getting back is poison and anger and, and hatred and you know obviously I've got hammered in social media a few times and my missus I told you has come to me and gone you know I want I want to say something i'm like listen don't you dare leave it with me i'm big enough to carry that shit mm -hmm. you know I, I can deal with that some people aren't built for that some people are do you think the manager is in trouble do you think knowing the the, the sack record of the owner do you think there could be trouble if, if it was anybody else except for stuart mccall right. i would say quite possibly now on social media a lot of people have got you know the knives out for stuart right. stuart actually came out today to say look this is a long-term project okay. and you gotta let me view it as a long-term do you project. blame him for any of the results so far he did put the team together. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some, uh, I don't want to say tactical naivety. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that there's probably been too much respect shown to the opposition and that we've changed formations to look Hate at how that. we can best attack the opposition um, versus like, let's be good at something, let's Focus stick on to your it. Strength. Exactly. So I think if there's any criticism, that's probably where the criticism is. I'll play mind games with my manager sometimes. And this gives you a little bit of an insight into chairman-manager relationships. Mm -hmm. I, I know my manager so well. So I had to push his buttons and wind mm -hmm. him up. And um, he's a perfectionist, so he'll prepare the team. He'll do video and analysis. But what I always try and get across to my managers is focus on us more than anything else. Yeah. Because if we spend so long worrying about the opposition and showing our players the opposition videotape, make them look like Brazil. Yeah. By the time you go out, the players are already thinking, fucking hell, you know, like this is going to be a tough task. I am task. playing Brazil. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? And um, it was a couple of weeks ago, it was, I think we were playing Northampton. And the gaff was worried about the physicality and the size. And he was like fretting about we were missing Jack Taylor. And mm -hmm. well, if I play him and if I play him, he's too small. And, you know, then, and I just said to him, geez, you know, I said, um, why don't you have the day off tomorrow? And he said, what? I said, well, it sounds like you've left your balls at home anyway. <laughs> so I said, well, I said, you're so fucking worried about Northampton town. I said, why don't we worry about what we can do to them as opposed to their physicality? And I couldn't give a fuck if they go two and a look, we can beat them five too. So why don't you sleep on that? Yeah. Stop fretting about fucking stupid things. And I said, and go win the fucking game. And I said, other than that, have a day off. <laughs> and he was like, oh, you're a bollock saying that to me. I said, listen. <laughs> and he, he rings me after the game. He goes, you know, that resonated with me because I woke up like so angry wanting to yeah. like win that football game. Yeah. But sometimes you have to know, you know, uh, like I'll know if the manager's under pressure, how to mm -hmm. relieve the pressure, mm -hmm. the things to say. If the manager, I think, has been a bit complacent, the things I say to him. Yeah, I'll wind him up, buttons. I'll play the yeah. games. And I listen, so it's, it's tough sometimes because he knows me so fucking well by now. But like, yeah, I mean, I like to have a right. Like I'll say to him, we win a game. And uh, like, he was furious after the Shrewsbury win. Like, he rings me after the game and he's like, I'm so angry. And I'm like, what are you so angry about? 
And, you know, I'm dancing around my office here. Mm. Oh, wow, we were this and we were that. And I said, Jesus. And he said, yeah, and I've given it to the players. And I'm like, you've given it to the players? I said, for fuck's sake, who do you think you are? Pep Guardiola. Right. I said, listen, I love the perfection. I love the attitude. I love the fact he strives to be that good. And I just said to him, give yourself a break. Give the players a break. It's been a long, long couple of weeks. We've had some heavy games, some heavy legs. Take that into account. And I said, we're nowhere near as good as we want to be. We will get better. And I said, give yourself a break. I said, go home, have a few bottles of wine and bang the missus. I said, and have a good weekend. And I said, and you go again on Monday. I said, but don't get too upset. You just won 5-1 and you're top of and the table. And that's why I said, don't get too upset with yourself because sometimes yeah. we forget the wins. You've got to enjoy yeah. them as well, yeah. right? And sometimes he needs that. Now, the other flip to that could be if we lose. Sometimes I give him what for. Barry always says the one great thing about me with any manager I've had is, is that the constructive criticism I give is always fair. Mm -hmm. I might be an angry man, but I'm constructively, critically, you know, solid with yeah. the intel. It won't be it's just... It's not just emotion. It's not just emotion. It's well thought out. It's, you know, this happened and that happened and da-da-da and did you think of this and whatever. So it's, it's really important and you gotta, you got to pick your manager up. You know, some managers can be as low as a snake's belly. And the last thing you do is, 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 is run all over them. Yeah. You've got to lift them up and make them feel a million dollars. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and what I feel for us with Stuart, I mean, he's such a part of the club. Uh, we all want him to succeed. It feels like he's on his own. There's not really that structure. The support. Um, an infrastructure around whether it's scouting, whether it's yeah, you know, talent selection, all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And so he's the one person that everyone is the lightning rod for criticism. Sure. Um, what I like about like the setup that you have is that you know it's sure. a team game. Yeah, very much. And you've so. got Barry, there's mm -hmm. yourself, you've got uh, your CEO. Yep. I don't feel like we've got that. That's really important, you know, because it's not. Look, when we do well, I'm happy for the manager to have all the success and the credit. Mm -hmm. Just like when we don't do well and a manager gets fired, that's normally what happens. You know what I mean? But I'll always take responsibility as well. Like you know, I've always held my hands up if I've made a bad decision or if I've done the wrong thing. We said it last week, you know, you have to know, you know, your own mistakes. You, you have to recognize them. Yeah. And, and we said it in our business segment yeah. that, and it's the same in football. There can be no blame game. You know, it is a team game and we, we, it, it always doesn't always work perfectly, but you got to try and do it together as best you can mm -hmm. and come up with game plans. Like myself, Baz and the manager had an issue with, we're trying to get a few of our younger players signed up. We're having a few agency issues there. So we had a pow out of three of us the other day. And I said, look, let's leave it alone for 10 days. And we're going to revisit in this way because mm -hmm. everyone was like pet up and angry. And I was like, let's just calm it down. Let's get through the league games. I've got an idea. We'll execute it in 10 days and we'll deal with all of those yeah. fuckers then, those agents and stuff. Everyone was kind of like a bit relieved. We move on. And that's the best way to be. But no, I, I feel your pain. Look, let's hope Bradford turn it around. Stuart McCall's a great guy. You'd hate to see him go out, you know what I mean, and get sacked. Having only just come back yeah. and gone through all of this. And obviously, I, I feel for you too. You, you want your pals, teams mm -hmm. to win games. So let's wait and see. We got South End tomorrow. Okay. Well, you've got to win that game. you got to win that you game. Do. But if I'm, the, if I'm the manager, I'm saying to the team, stop fucking around. Yeah. You go and win that game. South End are as low as they can be. Yeah. You go there and you put your foot on their neck and you do the business and you go win that game. And, and that's we, no disrespect to South End. Yeah, and then we got Tonbridge Angels in the... Uh, right, there you go. Back-to-back -back wins, momentum, you're into yeah. November and suddenly things can change. And that's the way it can be in football. Mm. It only takes one result. Correct. I guess we'll see and hopefully this time next week it's a different situation. Good. Now, talking about the Premier League, going into the Premier League, we've got Southampton. 
So what was it? Not that long ago, they lost 9-0 at Leicester yeah. and they got stuffed, I think, 5-2 to Spurs and mm -hmm. they could have been had a few more. I watched that game them. when I was yeah. in the UK, yeah. Um, now they're fourth on the table. Look, great club. I always, obviously, as a Liverpool fan, they're almost, they've been like our feeder club, haven't right. they, players-wise? <laughs> you know, and I don't mean that disrespectfully. Jason uh, Neil, my partner, he's a massive Southampton yeah. fan. Really well-run club, great academy. They won promotion the year. We won promotion from League One. I think mm -hmm. they won the league. And we, I think we had a 4-4 game with them at our place. Brilliant football club. To lose 9-0, to come back from that as a manager, to regroup your players like he did, Ralph Hasselheil, is that his name, whatever else? Let's call him Ralph. He's got to be a hell of a manager. He's got to have some serious balls. Because they get battered 9-0, and Leicester beat them 9-0. Mm -hmm. And then after that, went on a run. Yeah. To have the cojones to get your team in after a 9-0 drubbing, and basically go again, that is some seriously good management talent. Yeah, you know when you say you hit rock yeah. bottom? That's hitting rock bottom. Yeah. And if you see where they've gone from then, I'd love to see their record since then, but you wouldn't bet against them being top seven or eight in the Premier League. And they've got that one thing that every team needs, and that's a prolific goal scorer. Yeah. Never mind everything behind it. Yeah. If Danny Ying stays fit, and it's always been my question marks over him with his ACL injuries, and I believe he had a knee thing at the weekend, if they keep him fit, they don't lose any of their star players, which they can do. Um, they could have a phenomenal season. Mm -hmm. But I watched them again at the weekend. You know, it was a Villa they beat. Yeah. Great game, 4-3. A lot yeah. of goals again. I, I'm really enjoying watching the Premier yeah. League. I'm, I'm missing the Leeds game at the moment, my second favourite team at the moment. But um, I, I am enjoying watching. I watched the Spurs game yesterday. I was watching Liverpool on Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and all the games you're watching are close. Like Brighton Spurs close. Even Southampton uh, Villa, it was 4-1, then it's 4-3, and everyone's shitting themselves at the end. Liverpool West Ham was never a walk away win for Liverpool. Right. That was horrible, that was to watch. Uh, Everton game, Newcastle, fair play, Steve Bruce, the pressure he's under. There's some really entertaining games. There's, yeah. there's, there's goals. Steve Bruce can't win, can he? No, he can't win, and I love Brucey. I, I know him really well. I love him. I think he's a great guy. He's always been good to us. Um, you know, we, we beat him in the FA Cup when he was Aston Villa. He was so good to us in his office before and after the game. He lost his parents, I believe. He's such a nice man. The crap he, because I'm not a massive Rafa Benitez fan, and I'm a Liverpool fan. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he's the most boring manager tactically ever. The Newcastle fans were obsessed with him. And I always thought he played it very cleverly. Played the owner off with the fans. Mm -hmm. He was in a win-win situation. He put himself as being the hero. I hated that. Um, Bruce has gone in there and hide into nothing. Done all right last year. Yeah. Done it right again this year. He's balanced the books. He's spent very little. He's brought in some experience this year, obviously, with Fraser and Wilson, who've done the business for him so far. They'd be comfortably top 12. Mm -hmm. If Steve Bruce can do anything for Newcastle fans, I think it's getting Mike Ashley closer to the club. And having seen Ashley at a few of the games, I think he's actually enjoying it again. And if you can get a billionaire who starts enjoying one of his toys, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, yeah, then your the cash in. comes You're back in. out. You're the checkbook comes Trust back me. out. It's like, you know, your wife, who you might show no interest to, she suddenly starts putting the old lingerie on and you, you start getting the interest peaked again. She starts getting the gifts. It's the way it works in life, right? It goes both ways. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the same with him. If he starts falling in love with Newcastle, he'll spend money. He'll give Brucey money. So it's good. It's good. Premier League's great. So Spurs went second. Listen, I'm not going to say I predicted Jose was going <laughs> to do great. Well, I did, didn't I? Um, and again, the press, they, they, you know, it's really funny, the British press, because I like a lot of them, but I read them on Twitter. And obviously so many of them dislike Jose. And it's every time there's a shit result, like the other night when they lost in Europe and the knives are out and he's slated everyone on Instagram and he's done this and he's done that. And then 3-0 up against uh, West Ham and it was 3-3 and blah, 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 blah. I'm telling you now, the job he's doing there, unbelievable in my opinion. And do not be shocked to see them there till the end. He's got a good squad. 
It's Jose Mourinho. He hasn't lost his touch. He will be so motivated to finish above Guardiola this season to show there's life yeah. in the old dog yet. Yeah. And it could be his greatest achievement. If he goes and wins a trophy at Spurs, finishes top four, he'll have beaten Pochettino. He'll have beaten a lot of the Spurs managers. So don't be shocked by that. This is Jose's second coming. And I think Spurs, I actually enjoy watching them. I think they're quite exciting to watch. And probably what's killing him is he loves clean sheets and defensively they're a shit show. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the one thing that like really, really irritates him. But you know what? As he gets older, maybe he'll soften and he'll be all right with them winning 2-1 and 3-2 and 4-3. Well, they're certainly showing they can score more than they can see, don't Listen, they? Listen, they've got some attacking threat. Mm-hmm. I, if Liverpool play them tomorrow, I'd worry. Um, because obviously with Liverpool's injuries and whatever, and Liverpool weren't good against West Ham. But fair play to Liverpool. They're grinding out wins with all the injuries and now I'm starting to worry about their sports science department because they can't keep anyone fit it's just like they're walking fucking wounded so yeah Spurs doing really well do you think Gareth Bale's there to stay or I think if it goes really well Bale would definitely like to come home mm-hmm. he likes Spain I think his family or his wife's there but um, I think he'd, he'd enjoy being home I think it's a magnificent stadium when the fans are back. I think, yeah, I think Bale probably has two, three good years left in him. It feels like he probably needed to fall back in love with football. Yeah, know? 100%. And obviously what's happened to him at Madrid, but he's won everything at Madrid. He scored unbelievable goals. He's obviously, it's never worked for him there. He's never got on well with Zidane, the manager. So I think he's, he's a great addition to the Premier League. He's an asset. So I got to, unfortunately, bring up the lockdown and what uh, that's doing. I'm going to need um, to light a cigarette while I hear about yeah, this. Yeah, so here we are. We're recording on Monday. We have uh, lockdown in the UK starts on Thursday. What's that doing to, what's that going to do to football? So look, anyone who's listened to my podcast since day one have known that I've always been team reality over team apocalypse. Piers Morgan called people like me COVID idiots the other day. I called people like him COVID who screaming for more lockdowns and screaming for more draconian rules in place. You know where I stand in this, and we've lived through this in Florida, and we're living with freedom here, and we're coming down the mountain here in Florida. Even today, I was looking at hospitalizations. They're still 80% down since our peak. And all it's been is media and political pressure on Boris Johnson, who has now turned out to be very weak. Couldn't believe he'd go down this route again. And he's basically, he's bailed to the scientists. And he's going to lock up the country for a month. He's going to affect mental health. He's going to cause people who, all these people who don't know they have cancer, who aren't going to get checked out. I just think it's catastrophic, if I'm honest with you. I know they're getting 20,000 cases a day. We were getting it in Orlando in June and July. Six weeks later, we were down to four and five a day. And we didn't lock down. And I think he's been so poorly advised. I think Spain and Italy are so poorly advised. Everyone wants to have a dig at Sweden and say, oh, death per million and whatever else. But why aren't we all going over there and sitting down with Sweden? I've said this to you earlier. Why aren't we sitting there and going, right, how have you figured this out? How's this worked? You know, it wasn't necessarily herd immunity. They did certain things. What did they do? And why haven't we tried that? Why automatically did we? I said to you earlier, what's the definition of insanity? Trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And this is what's going on. It's a bit like football managers sometimes that. And I said in the summer when England was opened up and everyone, I was over there. I remember ringing my missus saying, everyone thinks they've conquered this thing. Little do they know, virus is going to virus and it's going to get it back around. You can't keep locking people up. The virus is just going to get out. So what you've got to do is mitigate best you can. And you've got to look after the most vulnerable. You've got to make sure you've had eight months to get the NHS ready for it, for the flu season. So all this, protect the NHS. Why aren't they ready? They've had eight months. And look after the most vulnerable. Get the vaccine sorted. Get it to the most vulnerable. Make sure people in the healthcare industry get the vaccine and let everyone else on with their lives. And I tweeted the other day, and I might upset people, why are we locking up the whole population? Why not lock up a percentage of those for a short period of time who are the most vulnerable? I'm sure they'd understand. 
a lot of them are obviously in their older years and they're probably going to hate me for saying that. But the reality is you're locking up 100% of the population. You're, you're, you're ruining businesses. Yes, you're ruining lives. And yes, people are dying. I understand infections, deaths. We know all of that. But we also know how many other people die from suicide, depression, undiagnosed cancers, all those things. I'm seeing the amount of kids who are trying to commit suicide out there. What we're doing to our children. You don't have kids' sports in the UK for a month. You do, and the problem is you don't trust them. Last time he said it was for like two, three weeks, and it went on for three months. Yep. Does anyone trust them when he locks them all up again? I just think people have had enough, and I hope people have had enough, because I've had enough, and I had enough here. And I'm saying to people out there listening, if you've had enough, may people know that you've had enough. Your democracy, your freedom has been taken away from you. And why people like Piers Morgan, why he earns five million quid a year to sit on TV, rolling his chops around about COVID, and scaremongering everyone out there because he keeps feathering his nest and keeping him well paid. Why it doesn't affect him. Well, let's lock him up for fucking two months where he's not allowed to report the news, where he's not allowed to write articles online for the Daily Mail about COVID or the presidential election and see how he fucking feels in two months because most normal people, working class people, have got jobs. They no longer have jobs. have had businesses. They no longer have businesses. They are dying financially. All right? Poverty is coming. All right, Life is fucked. I've had... 28 emails since Friday from people asking, you know, what do you think I should do next? You know, how am I going to be able to get work? Furlough is going to end again soon. All these people are going to get let go. It is absolutely outrageous what the UK, Ireland, my country, they did it weeks ago. My auntie, who's like 81, was driving to the doctors with my cousin. They were stopped by the police, but she was two miles away from our house, which was breaking the rules. What the fuck are we doing? What are we doing? Two miles, you're not allowed to leave your house. I'm sorry, pal. And I know you fall a little bit the other way, and you have done with your own view, but I've been from day one, my children need to be in school. My children need their mental health. They need their freedom. I need my freedom. I need the freedom to choose going outside yeah. or not. Well, you know, we talked about where I was in March, which sure. was very much, I think, that we don't know what we don't know, so we got to be... Mm -hmm. um, we got to be careful. We got to respect this thing. We got to figure out how we can, what we can do to help each other. Sure. You know, I think what we know now is we've seen the data, as mm -hmm. we've got more um, intelligent about how we can mitigate the risk. Um, Better therapies. Yeah. I the mean, death mortality rates dropped seventy percent here in America. We know what was killing people back in uh, March and April when everyone was getting thrown on ventilators isn't happening the same now. We know the average age of death over here is seventy nine, uh, in COVID. We know the average age of people dying anyway is 79 over here. We know, and this is the thing that drives me mad when they're locking up people. Have you seen any of the age statistics out there? Did Boris Johnson put a big chart up? You know, show us the data. Right. The other thing I said to you today, America are obviously giving different therapies to people in the UK and Europe. Why has America got a mortality rate three times better than the UK? Why have you got a chance of dying three times more likely if you got sick in the UK mm -hmm. or in one of the European countries? What are they doing differently over there? Why is there no kind of United Nations situation where they're all together going, this is how we treat our people. This is the one that's working the best. Is that happening? Why don't we all know about it? We know that Trump, for example, went in and got COVID, was given a new drug, Regeneron, was out two days later, and he's done 20 rallies since then. And he's 74 and he's obese. Mm -hmm. So he was only one of eight people in America who got that. Why is that drug not everywhere? Why is that not being used in everyone? Maybe it is, hence why mortality has dropped in America. What's been used in the UK? But why just keep locking people up? Why not share with us and tell us the truth? Why does Boris Johnson lock everyone up and not talk about vaccines? Where's the hope? 
Where is the hope? If you do it for a month, you might get your Christmas. Yeah. Why not come out and say, look, we're having a two-week refit. I promise you after two weeks, you're out. And by the way, the vaccines are going to be here by December. And by the way, we're going to give it to the most vulnerable first. We're going to give it to the healthcare workers. And you're going to get your normality back in 2021. Yeah. I hate hearing politicians talk about you're never going to get your normal back. This is the new normal. Or Fauci and co. Oh, this is going to go on to 2022. Well, fuck you. I want my normal back. How do we get it back? And let's talk about that. And that's my issue. And all these journalists and people who love writing scaremongering articles, who love demanding lockdowns. One guy I know on Twitter, and it made me laugh, he owns a golf club, and I like him. And he came out on Twitter, he was agreeing with Piers Morgan when he was going on about, these figures are ridiculous, we should be locking down. I think he thought his golf course would be still open. And lo and behold, they shut his fucking golf course down, and now he's screaming blue murder on Twitter. The fucking irony. So the point is, is like nobody should be punished you know, for a virus that 99.99% of the people under the age of 60 survive from, these people shouldn't be giving up their freedoms or losing their, losing their livelihoods. And next it'll be the pressure on shutting schools down. This shouldn't be happening anymore, Phil. We know so much more about it. And then everyone can call me an asshole, or like someone did the other day, oh, you're a Trump person, no wonder you believe this. No, I read data, I study data, I have since day one. I called it about my kids in school. It's how I feel. I'll take risks today for making sure my children have a normal life. And by the end of this year, I'm done wearing masks and welding masks. And I'm sick of my children spending eight hours a day wearing them as well. By 2021, when the vaccine's out, all bets are off and we should be back to normal. Because how would you be expected to wear a mask when there's a vaccine available for everyone to take? You don't want to take it. That's your problem. But we have to get on with life. We're letting this virus dominate our lives everywhere. And I'm amazed these massive countries keep going down the same fucking route over and over. So when I said on Twitter, fuck scientists, I didn't mean scientists in general. I know some scientists. I meant the scientists who are advocating for lockdowns because I don't agree with them. So fuck them. Yeah, I think personal responsibility, we talked about this before, is mm-hmm. kind of the order of the day. Um, it's called democracy, Philip. Mm-hmm. You get to choose, right? But right now, you're not getting to choose. I wonder when a politician runs in his next campaign, will the question be when they're running, are you into lockdown, sir, or not? Do you think about the next leader in the UK? Mm-hmm. You know, Would you advocate for what Boris Johnson did and lock the country up for four months in 2020? Or would you take a different approach? It's an important question to ask from now on, right? Well, they're just making it up as they go along. Correct. Based on sage scientists. I'm sick of reading about them. I'm sick of reading another article on Twitter from Imperial College who want to talk about how, what was it last week? The antibodies, the people who've had it, aren't as strong as they feared and it will return. You've had 20, 30 million people had COVID this year. Only so far, I think, five cases of repeat COVID. Because if, you, if there'd been more, there'd been a lot of newspaper articles on them. But you, the Imperial are out with another one of their articles. Scientists have never had a better year. They're getting more funding, more grants, more money, getting paid to be on more news stations, writing more articles online. It is the year of being a scientist when it comes to viruses. And I'm, I'm sick of the sight of them. So what does these new, um, like, I guess the new lockdown, the new developments, what does that do for football clubs? We can still play our games. Uh, makes it difficult. We can't stay at hotels, I believe. Um, lower league football, I don't think can play. It's only elite sport, and that means mm-hmm. the football league onwards, upwards. Again, you know, we can train, we can, we can do things normally. I don't know how it affects us going to watch games if you're an owner. I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. All I know is I'm due to go to England for Christmas. And by the 2nd of December, I'll find out if it's open or not and whether yeah. or not you can get in. But, um, and it really wasn't clear because my manager rang me and said, are we, are we allowed to play on, on Saturday or not? And I said, I don't fucking know. Luckily, the EFL sent us a thing then later and said, yeah. And while they're locking us up again, again, there's no help. Mm-hmm. Still no help. 
and it's driving me mad, Philip. It's, it's just driving me dulali. I'm getting to the stage now, pal, where I'm looking at 2021. I said this to my missus over a drink the other night. But 2021, if all these countries are continuing with their lockdowns, and let's say your pal Biden wins here and lockdowns become a big thing in America again, where is the country I can move to? I don't fancy living in Sweden. Hopefully some country that's nice breaks out of this and sees an opportunity mm -hmm. to be the country that is going to try and live normally and try and control the virus in the way of protect the vulnerable and use the vaccine effectively and make it, make it clear there is no lockdowns if you come live here. Because I'll sign up. <laughs> you know, I don't want to live anymore in a country like this who keeps like, restricting your freedoms. So you talked about no help incoming yet um, for football, and we talked about this a little bit off mic. You know, do, are they waiting for clubs to fail before something happens? My partner thinks Sony's probably right, and it's horrible. You know, like it's, it's almost like the government and the Premier League have got to see two clubs go into administration or go into liquidation to go, oh shit, we better. Maybe help it them is out. a problem after all. Yeah, and I hate that because it's like being honest. I said to you, it's like all of us been on a lifeboat, and we got to wait for two people to sink and die before we all start screaming for help. It's not right. No club should go under. And I feel, and this is a message to all the other owners out there. I'm sick of the sight of me on Sky and Talk Sport and all of these, and I keep getting asked three times a week to go on. Sky asked me on twice again this week, and I purposely didn't do it because I can only ring the bell so many times and say the same thing, and eventually the message gets lost in translation. I need other owners, other mm -hmm. people, like-minded people who are genuinely worried about our industry, not just my club, every club, to be out there speaking about this, to go on all the media outlets, they will let you on, all right? It's no, it's no you know, impossible feat to get on there. Um, you've got to get on there. You've got to be telling everyone out there what the government, what the Premier League are not doing for us and that they are basically destroying our industry. Boris Johnson, Oliver Dadden, they're destroying our industry and they don't seem to give a fuck. And that's the most concerning thing. I saw a thing today again about cinemas asking for another bailout. Well, that's great, they've had one. Mm -hmm. Any danger of an industry that hasn't had one, get one. And, you know, I'm at the stage now that we do us owners. I, I don't know how it works in England, but if all of us owners got together and I got a top lawyer for us all and we got a class action together and mm -hmm. raised a million pound in legal fees amongst us all, could we go to the high court in the UK and reverse it? Or because it's a pandemic, is that impossible? I know in America you could go to the Supreme Court yeah. and you can get areas opened up like, like what has happened. I don't know if that could happen in the UK. But eventually someone's got to be looking and going, these people are basically like, they are smothering the life out of our industry. And, and when do we fight back with all means possible? Well, every other owner is obviously feeling the same as what... But they're I, not screaming to, about it. why? Fact. So that's why I, 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 I don't know. Like, what's, do you Some, have a theory on why they're not Some of them talk about it on Twitter. A few of them have gone on sports and stuff, but they don't seem to be... I don't know. I, I, it's I'm, like no collective... Yeah, um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just frustrated and, and, mm -hmm. and I sound like a spoiled baby or a spoiled bitch or whatever else, but like, I just know what's coming. I know there are clubs going to go out of business. I know what we're fighting with. You know, we had big calls last week, me and my partners. We spoke with directors at the club. We're having a big call with our staff next week. I'll be speaking to our players in a couple of weeks. Tough times are coming as regards mm -hmm. tough decisions because everyone knows what's going on. We've got fans who are beating our door down for season ticket refunds. We've got to sort that out. We are going to sort that out. So there's so much pressure on the football club. We're trying to do our best. I'm trying mm -hmm. to keep our best squad available to try and finally get out of this bloody league and get into the championship because I think it's now more important than ever. And I'm trying to keep it all together, as are my partners. Yeah. And, and it's like, it keeps me up at night. My employees, it yeah, keeps me up at night. It's really, really tough, Phil. I'm not looking for a violin here, but I, I gotta be honest with you, probably the last three weeks, you know, bar the results in the football being a bit of a break, it's been the most stressed I've been mm -hmm. since this all started. Um, because you just feel lonely, you feel helpless, 
you feel ignored, you feel forgotten. That's how I feel the Premier League and the government are, are directing towards us. And the romanticism of our league, and we talk about clubs like Bradford, the size of those clubs, mm -hmm. and, you know, bigger clubs, you know, you could call Sunderland and Portsmouth, whatever else, you know, it's not impossible for some of these clubs to get in trouble again. They've already been in trouble. Now, I'm not speaking for Portsmouth or Sunderland. Right. I'm just trying to put out there that it's not impossible that some big names it's in football. It's not just the small clubs. It's with, not just the know, small a clubs. A couple of thousand no. gates no, that are in trouble. No, because you take a big club and they have a big wage bill and they only pay the big wage bill because they got 15, 20, 25,000 yeah, people. They've got a big to pay for. They, yeah, and they've got like a lot of fans. They've got season tickets. Mm -hmm. I mean, they could be hemorrhaging a million a month. I don't know how long their owners could sustain that. There's not many billionaire owners in League One or League Two. Well, if there is, I'd like to find them. I don't think there is. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah, we're, we're, we're in deep shit here, and um, we're sinking, and, and nobody's thrown us a life raft whatsoever. The crumbs they've tried to throw us would end up drowning us anyway, so there was no point in taking them. And, and we're in a hurry here, and I've been saying this for weeks. Yeah. Don't want to bore everyone on the podcast, but and if you, even everyone listening on the podcast as well, we've you know someone come up with an idea to get all the clubs have got to start harping on about this and getting together, because it's now more than ever, guys. Now, has there been any formal discussions, or is it just quiet at the moment? I'm not hearing a lot, but mm -hmm. that might mean nothing. There could yeah. be discussions. I don't know. For all, could be, I said this last week, a bailout could happen tonight, yeah. but I don't think anything's on the horizon. I don't think it's around the corner. It's it's very concerning. I think Project Big Picture, or whatever it's called, is that the right word? Yeah. They're still talking about that, but again, that's that's not something that's going to happen today. Why aren't we forcing the government here? Why aren't we Why aren't we sat in Oliver Dowden's office every day? I was nearly going to do a video the other day calling out Boris Johnson. Do you know what I mean? I thought, just, I'm not going to do it. You know what I mean? Because it's just, they don't care. They don't care. They, they care about the arts. They care about other industries. They don't seem to care about us. They just want the Premier League to bail us out, and both of them have to do it. We won't talk about it anymore in the podcast until there's something to talk about, or if fans ask a relevant question. Yeah, I question. want to keep checking in to see if there's any no, that's fine, that's fine. conversations what, are happening. What I want to shout out now, too, is I want everyone, because um, big Tommy Robson, who yeah. we lost, it was his funeral last week, and, and he got a nice send-off. I'm sorry I wasn't there to see it. I want everyone to realize Pisa are organizing um, a statue. If you can go to thetommyrobsonstatue.co.uk, you can donate to the statue fund um, to build a beautiful statue like we did with Chris Turner. Pisa and 80 Miles, they're doing a good job with that. So if you could go on there and donate now, I would appreciate it. Even if you're not a posh fan, this is a legend in football. Unfortunately, he died. One of the nicest men you'll meet. Uh, he's up there now in heaven looking down on us, and uh, it would be lovely to uh, commemorate him with this statue. So, again, go to thetommyrobsonstatue.co.uk and donate, and thank you very much. And then one last thing before we carry on with the podcast. Myself and Phil do a business segment on the podcast. So what we're thinking about basically doing is we're probably thinking about doing a bit more of a business one-on-one -on -one for certain people who want to hear about business advice, my stories of business over the years, people who are thinking about their next career move, going to open a business, are they going to go work for someone, are they going to leave their current job, are you unhappy with your business or your work life, it doesn't matter if you work in a shop, whether you work as an accountant or a lawyer, so the idea I've got now is, is that we're going to do a specific podcast designed for members only who are going to have to pay to listen to this podcast that we do every week, but it's going to be very personal and if you pay and you want to join, you will get the option basically to ask, you know, three, four questions every week. We can have case studies on particular people mm -hmm. that might join. At some stage, once a month, we'll do a Zoom call with all the members. Um, so for more information, if you're interested in signing up for this, it's only going to be something like eight, nine, ten quid a month to join. 
Uh, I want to see what the interest is like out there, and I think this could be very beneficial to people. I'm not necessarily doing it for me. Phil here is a business to run. He needs to make money as well, and before he does a lot of this for free. So if anything, it'll pay his petrol. Yeah. Um, give us the address that they need to email in if they're interested in joining yeah, this new exercise. Have, if you have interest, you know, like Dara said, we want to see if there interest is if there's interest out there before uh, we're going to put anything out there. So just email the show. It's contact at hardtruthfootball.com. And let us know if that's something that uh, piques your interest. Contact at hardtruthfootball.com. If you want to be, it could be 10 people, it could be 100 people, it could be 1,000 people. But what you will get is you'll get uh, one-on-one advice from me. You get to ask questions. Phil as well. Phil runs his own business. Uh, I'm going to talk about business successes, failures, stories. I've trained over 2,500 salespeople. I've made a lot of people rich. Um, Some of the advice I've given has been very good. It's not always perfect. If you're interested in that, And this could be about life, this could be about business, it could be about sports. As Phil said, send an email in and we'll contact you. We're going to start a pilot program to start recording these. And one last time, email to? Contact at hardtruthfootball.com. Right, brilliant. We're going to be back after the break. So you guys, uh, we'll see you soon. And we'll come back with some questions and some other bits and pieces. Thank you for listening so far. Thank you. Hi everybody, welcome back. It's Q&A time on the Hard Truth Podcast and we've got a few questions coming in this week. Sounds good. Uh, we're going to kick off with a question from Ricardo. Uh, Ricardo asks, when posh get promoted to the championship? Love so that. Like the when. Assumptive closing. Um, when. <laughs> will he expand, will he, will Dara expand his scouting to other countries or will you only continue to really look at the UK? No, I, I can even show you here in my Dropbox uh, a document, Phil. I've got a whole scouting and analysis document based on championship football. Mm-hmm. I actually did this back in March. <laughs> so I was expecting like it to be in the summer. Yeah. And um, Ricardo, it's a great question. What I do really well in the UK, I think I could do really well in Europe. I don't think I could do it for the posh weather in League One. Mm-hmm. But I think I could plunder France, Germany, Scandinavia in second and third divisions for lower league talent uh, and I have a plan in place mm-hmm. and it's an extensive plan um, and I have that document right there and no one's getting that document until we're in the championship. <laughs> so why why do you think you can do that in League One? Because a couple of things, foreigners take a while to adapt yeah. and I think it'd be harder in League One to adapt than championship. Mm-hmm. Um, the wages, if you go get a striker in the second division in France, his wages there would be six to eight grand a week. Okay. In the championship that's more doable mm-hmm. in league one you can't do that mm-hmm. and not anymore the salary cap same in germany there was a there was a striker in germany i looked at very ivan tony like and a deal could have been done but the wages and in the back of my head the risk the risk and reward is easier for me in the championship to do yeah. it than in league one yeah. foreigners coming in in league one and we've done it with ireland call it foreigners you know but it's difficult so for me for me to do this right i'd want to do it in the champ and I have that worked out, yeah. and I think we could do it really, really well. So I have a question from, uh, let me grab his name, from Martin Lee. Martin is a Celtic fan. Cool. Uh, a couple of questions around Celtic. Okay. First of all, were Celtic ever re- realistically in the hunt for Ivan Tony? Oh, 100%. Nicky Hammond, their sporting director, uh, I think it's Nicky Hammond, he used to work, is it Nicky Hammond or worked at Reading? Yeah, he was a Reading player. Yeah, he played for Reading. He flew in to see Barry, mm-hmm. um, but... It was reliant on them really selling a player. I think we all know the player, and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the conversations early on, it wasn't. It was never going to get to the level we were at without that. And I understand that Celtic, Rangers, clubs in Scotland don't have the TV deals, don't have the money. Yeah. 
they have to play our trade. But what they do have is 50,000 fans, and they just didn't have it during COVID. Mm -hmm. So we understood where Nicky was coming from. No harm, no foul. Um, I know Neil Lennon wanted him desperately and spoke to Ivan a couple of times. And because Gavin Strachan was his new coach and had obviously been at our club. So Ivan was high on their list, and, and it probably would have appealed to him because Celtic's one of the biggest clubs you know, in Britain. Regardless whether in the SPL or in the yeah, Scottish you want to play League. in front of fifty thousand people if you of can. Course, uh, you know, you of course, you, you know, Champions League, you know, the the UEFA Cup, you know, so all those leagues. So look, it didn't happen. We've never really sold a player to Celtic. I'm sure it will in the future. Um, their fans sometimes get upset with me over the whole Lee Tomlin saga years and years ago, but that wasn't my fault. That was their fault. Um, but yes, say la vie. Look, as I've been shown in the Championship, um, there are a lot of idiotic Premier League managers who should have uh, who should have bought him because he is um, sensational. He's doing the business. He's sensational. Mm -hmm. um, now the follow-up, and it's kind of an age-old question, sure. but uh, getting your perspective on it is, do you ever envisage Celtic or Rangers joining the English football pyramid? No. No, I, I, I don't think it's right either, because they have their own, it's very disrespectful to their league. Um, so what does that say about Aberdeen? What does that right. say about Hearts? What does it say about Hibs? What does it say about all the other clubs? And, and I hate that argument, you know? They have their own league, and I think their league's improving. I think the standards improving all the time. There's some great players that come from there over to England mm -hmm. and have done really well in the Championship. And you know, you've obviously got McGinn at Aston Villa done well in the in the Premier League. So no, I I, I don't see that. I'm a Celtic fan, and obviously Jared's got Rangers absolutely yeah. roaring like a. We didn't talk about that earlier, but they're yeah, doing fantastic. Fine tuned Rolls Royce, and uh, I don't think Celtic are going to be able to catch them. I, I don't. I look at Rangers. I look at what he's done there, and I was highly critical early on of Stevie. Uh, and obviously he's, he's an icon at Liverpool, so I've always loved him as a player. But fair play to the boy. He's got it right. He's been backed by his owner. He didn't lose their leading goal scorer. He's added, you know, the players they brought in, the striker that was at Leeds, they came over from when it was Andelect, they brought him in. They've got strength and depth. I worry. I think Rangers will definitely win the title this year. Nine points ahead for yep. Celtic I think right now. Celtic got a couple in hand. 15 clean sheets in 19 games. They've won twice in Europe. Away yeah, from home. Unbeaten all season. Yeah, 17-18 unbeaten. Phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think Rangers are truly back in business, which isn't good for us Celtic fans, even though you probably missed that rivalry. It's good for uh, Scottish football. It's great for Scottish football. Yeah. Um, so, and there's a couple of wealthy owners who have gone in and bought some Scottish clubs. So, you know, again, disrespectful to talk about Celtic and Rangers breaking away. It shouldn't happen. So, a question from um, Shane Wilkinson. So, Shane kind of tease this up he says he's a Kidderminster fan right uh, playing in National League North yep and actually said you know we had a conversation last week about uh, wh which leagues can get fans in he says that the North and South we got National that wrong, League Phil, are classed to step two I blame you for that yeah but I'll take it <laughs> um, so he says we're in the same boat as Bradford and the Posh in terms yeah. of fans we can't get people in um, and that some of the pushback from the funding perspective was that clubs like Kidderminster, who average about 1,500, get the same cash as another club who gets about 400. Mm. Um, now, the question is uh, actually related to Joe Lolly. Okay. Um, and he oh. asked, um, were you ever in for him? Because uh, I'll tell you a story. it was rumored that you were. We played time. Kidderminster in the FA Cup mm -hmm. and we drew it their place. Should have beaten them. The, the ball, there was one situation where the ball went off the line like nine times in one play. It was like ricocheting. And we, myself and Barry had gone to the game and we knew we were signing Joe Lolly. So we did a deal for Joe Lolly in the dressing room after the game with a Kidderminster owner. Mm -hmm. We did a deal with Lolly, his agent, his representative. Our biggest problem was we had to win that day because he needed to be in the car with us going back to Peterborough. But we fucking drew. Right. Which means their owner then said, look, he's got to stay for the replay. Yeah. And I said at the time to Barry, if he stays for the replay, there'll be scouts at our replay. 
and someone's going to come in here because they're all trying to find out what Peterborough do when we sign a non-league player. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, we drew. I said to the manager after the game, you've cost us the Joe Lolly deal because you drew that fucking game. And lo and behold, he was sensational against us in the replay, scored a great goal in the 3-2 win at our place, and Huddersfield snapped him up. Yeah. So, But I, I'd spotted him six months before that. And uh, yeah, he's one that got away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so a question from Mike Ryan. Mike says, I see the Preston owner has bought Cork City, yep. Elite Power, Owens Waterford yep. and Dundalk. Has taking over a club in Ireland been looked at, considered as kind of a way for you to expand the empire, if you will? Pre-COVID, there were serious plans in place for multi-club ownerships mm -hmm. um, in various countries. And I worked, I had a whole project worked out. I've got it right here next to me. It's like a 25-page PDF spread on clubs in Europe. One was in Ireland. Uh, it's something I'd love to have done. Mm -hmm. I think football group ownership is the future. So, yeah, it's funny that question came up. If I was to buy a club in Ireland, but they're not for sale, they're not available, it would be my Shamrock Rovers, who I've supported since yeah. I was young. They're like the Liverpool in Ireland with the amount of titles they've won in their history. But I think they're owned by the fans. Um, Dundalk's owned by a very wealthy guy. Mm -hmm. And they've obviously made about four million quid getting to the group stages. Is it now the UEFA Cup, it's called? The, well, the Cups always change all the time, don't they? But they beat by Arsenal the other night. As a club, they have done phenomenal. Obviously, the Irish manager was there. He'd won multiple league titles. So Dundalk are the big boys now. I think Shamrock Rovers just won the title. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Ireland's not off the table. With COVID going on, you forget it. Yeah. You know, we, we, we wouldn't be buying Bognor Regis, do you know what I mean, at the moment. So it's just the way it goes. COVID put pay to those plans for the moment. What is it that's attractive about football, you know, having group ownership over a number of clubs? I'm going to keep that to myself mm -hmm. because there's a, there's a lot of things in there I don't want to talk about right yeah. now. But I would say watch this space over the All next right. two years. So I got a question from Luke. And Luke asks, just for your thoughts, perspectives on Charlton, and now that Charlton have their new owner, sure. uh, Thomas Sandergaard. Yep. Essentially, the question is, what do you think about Thomas? What do you think about Ch Charlton's chances this season? I think they've got one of the best managers in the league. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you why. Is he's won promotion. He fought the battle in the championship. He never walked away from them when they had all that shit going on. He's lost his leading goal scorer on deadline day a few weeks ago, which amazed me when they got a rich owner in yep. and they sell the leading goal scorer, you know, Bon, who, who went to QPR, I believe. And then they lost their goalkeeper, who they sold as well. And Lee Boyer keeps winning. They've won like five in a row. They're, you know, they're, they're up, up the playoffs. There. So every time this guy gets a challenge thrown at him, he's their biggest asset at the club. I don't know anything about the owner. Yeah. I don't know how rich he is. I don't know how deep his pockets are. I'd met the previous guy for a coffee before. I got in trouble with Charlton fans for saying he was a great guy. So I don't want to go into it too much with the new owner because mm -hmm. I get in trouble if he doesn't turn out to be a great guy. But I was, I was kind of shocked they didn't do more in the window, having a new owner with lots of money and, and knowing that Boyer needed obviously a lot of backing and then losing two of your best players yeah. and then showing what a phenomenal manager he is by basically like, propelling them up the league against all those odds. He could have walked um, so many times as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And he stayed. And truth be known, I never thought when he first became manager, was he going to make a good manager? But I've been yeah. so impressed with him. Yeah. Um, fair play to the guy. Um, he's turned out to be a brilliant manager. And, and no doubt will manage higher. Mm -hmm. And if that's with Charlton, great for the Charlton fans. What I was happy about was, with all the, you know, Charlton's a massive club. And for that to be going on, the nonsense the last year and whatever else, is not a good look for our football right, league. Right. A massive club like that. So to see it finally resolved, and I, and I heard the guy on Talk Sport, and I think he was into music, he was playing a guitar. Yep. He sounded like a really fun guy. So I'm glad for the Charlton fans. And I, you know, if he's got the money and everything else and it all goes well, brilliant, because that's what Charlton needs. Yeah. Because the fans have been kicked in the nuts too many times.
Yeah, it's like a new start, isn't it? Yeah, and all correct. the crap that went on beforehand uh, resolved. Correct. Um, so the last question on football is from sure. Matt. And the context of this is, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, uh, Carlisle's ground, Rutten Park, was underwater. Yeah. Uh, the, the banks Jesus, of the river yeah. uh, flooded. So there was um, an article, I think some, uh, some scientist was talking about that in England, nine, sorry, 23 of the 92 league grounds can expect partial or total flooding of their stadiums uh, by 2050. The question is... These fellas right up your street. Yeah. Well, is the well, old climate there you uh, go. change, isn't it? So ah, there we go. You're going to love this. Do football clubs have a responsibility to the figure out... Um, what's that? Figure out what? The environment? Yeah. Or? Well, to, to, to recognize that this is something to be mitigated, whether it's just a club level. I mean, you're building by the river. We have had to do all those studies yeah. um, for the new stadium. And we've paid money for mm -hmm. the studies and how it's done, and we're okay. It's going to be fine. Funny enough, for our current ground is before when I came in, the pitch was a disaster. One of the reasons the pitch was a disaster was the water levels kept rising near the river, yeah. and it was affecting our pitch. So we've had to bring in drainage and everything else. So I know a lot about this, mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, do we have responsibility? Of course we do collectively. Are we all going to be underwater by 2050? I don't agree with that. Yeah, um, I, I, I get the the need to try and panic people and say shit like that, yep. but I, I don't believe it. We've got a business question to close on. Hey. This is from John. Uh, we set up a recruitment business in June, are already turning a profit. Brilliant. Uh, despite the pandemic. Um, a lot of business owners in the UK are talking about now being a good time to look at acquiring businesses to grow. Mm -hmm. The question really is, what are your thoughts on organic growth or looking at buying businesses at the minute um, to kind of turbocharge uh, growth? As so, we move to 2021. So they're a recruiting business. They yeah. set one up. And is he talking about buying other recruiting businesses? I believe so, yeah. Right. So first off, John, is that his name? John, yeah. Congratulations for having balls of steel, opening a business during a pandemic. So for, for, there, for mm -hmm. that, I salute you. Because so many people wouldn't have the cojones to make that Some move. Some of the biggest, most successful businesses are set up in the hardest of times. They are. They? they are. And I told you before a story about myself during a, a really shitty time, mm -hmm. whatever, but... And we'll save that for some of the subscription service uh, podcast, <laughs> business podcasts we do. But uh, John, magnificent. And, and you know, the way I look at it is this. You know your own market better than me. I don't know the recruitment world. I know people who've been in it. I know people who've lost their business recently. One person in particular had a massive recruitment business and he just he went under after 25 years because mm -hmm. of COVID. Um, you're in an idea position because you're starting and it's a new business. It's not like you're carrying loads of scars or baggage. So you knew going into it what yeah, you needed. Or, or costs or associated. Costs. So yeah. you weren't carrying 20 offices and 300 staff and pensions and all of that. So if you, if you have the opportunity and you're doing that well, that you can go out and buy competitors who are on their knees, and that sounds horrible and ruthless, but you can go out and, as an example, let's say you're based in Carlisle. And let's say, what's the nearest area to Carlisle geographically? I know. Newcastle across the way. Whatever. Barrow so, in the so, district, so let's just whatever. say you're in area A yeah. and you're suddenly become the best recruitment A company in that area and you want to start moving and expanding into other areas. And if you have the pockets deep enough and you're doing well enough and you have the money and you see we, you smell blood in the water with some competitors, so the, the next city you'll cross, mm -hmm. call it City B, the biggest player there, you've heard they're in the shit. You've heard they're not paying their staff. Go make them an offer. Yeah. Absolutely. Be ruthless. Go take them out. Put your name and brand on it. That's how you can expand quickly. Now, organically, you can do it yourself and open in all various different places. But often, I always wondered if I, with my real estate, if I'd done that, if I'd gone in and bought current places who maybe had 10 
real estate shops in Cyprus or mm -hmm. Ten in Port. Instead, I went in and did it from scratch, which was a lot harder, but it was more controllable. Yeah. When you go in and buy someone else's business, sometimes it comes with bad habits. You're buying all the baggage. You're as buying well, the baggage. Sort of you're buying the bad habits. Yeah. You're buying staff who might be unhappy. However, I'm not against it. With a pandemic, it's probably the right move. Mm -hmm. You probably don't have time to go out and start setting up yourself. So if you can go in and buy two, three of those businesses and you can do it in the right spots uh, because you've got some magic mantra to do with your recruiting business that will work and you can just flick the switch on, put your name on it, do what you got to do. I'm all for that and I think that's, that's brilliant. I think absolutely. And is there a time now where there will be businesses available? I'm not going to lie to you. One of the things I do once a day on my computer, I have a business website here in America and I've got one for the UK. And every day, as like a five-minute thing, call it my porn for the day, mm -hmm. I troll through businesses for sale. Yeah. Just to see and just to source, is there any opportunity, I don't know, something's available for 50 grand that was 500 grand yep. last year that needs to be reinvigorated, maybe needs a new bit of spin, yeah. maybe needs some money it's put into fire it. Fire sale. Fire sale going on. Yeah. Listen, sometimes the best opportunities arise like that. And, and it sounds ruthless and horrible, but That's someone's going to do it. That's business. Correct, someone's going to do it. So John, well done to you, whoever else is involved in the business. Keep us posted. Actually, you should subscribe to our business service because you will uh, do well out of that because you sound like you're on the up and up. Now, where's the, what's the balance between cash flow and investing? And so you think about right now, cash is king. I mean, it's, it always is, but now more than ever when you don't necessarily know what the future holds, but you have an opportunity. I know that you've kind of taken the, the riskier approach yes. in the past. Yeah, it's tough, but I wasn't in a pandemic. So, yeah. you know, it's easy for me to sit here and go, oh, how brave I was because I took that risk. There was no pandemic fucking floating around when I was trying to build my business. So a pandemic changes everyone's mind or messes with everyone's mental health. And I said it recently, I did it to mine. But I did say this uh, during the pandemic. Look, right now, everyone's got to make sure that they've got food in the fridge for six months. They can keep the lights on for six months and get through this. I said it back in March. Yeah. I didn't think I'll have to say it again in November. But here I am saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. If you can get through the next six months, and I do believe, and I'm always the optimist, I do believe, regardless of the cowardly politicians and morons that keep trying to lock us up, sooner or later the vaccine will be smacking them in the face and not allowing them to lock us up anymore, which means life has to carry on. And if you're in a position to get going again when life carries on, you can kill it. Now, economically, it's going to be dark and shitty for a while, but that doesn't mean you can't do well yourself. So prepare yourself. Mentally prepare yourself. You know, get your fridge stocked up. Make sure you can keep the power and lights on. Work your nuts off right now. Have a think about what you want to do. Read some business books. Further yourself. Improve yourself. I've never been into business books, but I'm reading about shit I've never had an interest in before. What, what's I just the last business book you read? The last business book I read would have been, uh, I read one two weeks ago, actually. I can't fucking remember the name of it. Um, it was really good. It was about currency uh, mm -hmm. exchange. It was currencies. And I wanted to learn more about currencies. And it was written by like a currency expert. I forget his name. He's a boring guy. <laughs> but, and in fairness, I call it my shit I read. I have it in the toilet. I read a chapter every day. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, it's one of them. But you're, uh, always learn you're always still looking to learn. Always looking. The last leader's book I read was Nikki Haley. Yep. Um, you know, who's obviously a governor in America. Yep. She was special ambassador to the UN for mm -hmm. Trump. And I think she'd be the first female president of America. And I read her book uh, and it was very good. Uh, about leadership and and look i'll read anyone's book i've just ordered eddie hearn i don't yeah. like eddie hearn the boxing promoter yeah. um he's obviously um ex late and orient yeah. owner's son barry hearn uh, but what he's done in boxing is brilliant and he was a daddy's boy and he gets slated for but he's taking their company to the next level so i'm always interested to learn about anyone's success whether i like them i don't like them and i'll devour that 
Um, I bought about four or five recently, and there hasn't been enough of them out. I'll say that. There isn't enough good ones that come out. The other one I read was I read Michael Eisner, mm-hmm. um, who obviously, not Ma- Michael no, Eisner. Bob Iger. I've, I've done Eisner's before. I did yeah. Bob Iger from Disney. I love that one. If you haven't read it, Bob Iger, Walt Disney, CEO, chairman, brilliant. Read his book. It's really good about the deals where he bought Marvel, where he bought, uh, what else did he buy? He bought Pixar. Pixar off Steve Jobs. He mm-hmm. did the deal with Steve Jobs before he died. Um, what else did he buy? He bought Star Wars. He bought you know, Fox as he well. Bought Fox. He bought Fox. did the Fox deal with Rupert Murdoch. So mm-hmm. if you want to know about business and how minds think, and you think, oh, these big deals, but then when you start hearing the stories, yeah, they might be big deals, but they were done between two people over a coffee. And that's sometimes how business works. So, um, yeah, I'm always fascinated, you know. While you're in lockdown, while you're being locked up and these draconian shitty rules are in place, you know, plot your escape. Plot what comes next. Because for those of you out there who have the appetite, the energy, the work ethic to come out of this and bounce back, you know, you're going to be able to go high. You're going to be able to go far. Because this, unfortunately, is going to get rid of a lot of people. And I don't mean... Uh, health-wise yeah i mean mentally business-wise a lot of people Mm -hmm. are going to go a lot of businesses are going to close a lot of people are going to lose their jobs and they always say survival of the fittest there are people who are going to be able to take uh, an opportunity from that and if you don't do it guess what someone else fucking will so wakey wakey all right this is as shit as it gets at the moment but there are better days ahead all right well on that note we'll wrap up for this week we're back again next wednesday same time same place don't forget to tell everyone you got to share the podcast. We're rising up on the charts. Yeah. We were top five last week. Want to get to number one? Send in your questions. We've had, we had a lot of questions this week, which was great. And it makes my job easier. So uh, send those in. You can go to the contact form, hardtruthfootball.com slash contact. Or email us at um, contact at hardtruthfootball.com. So, and if you're interested in subscribing to the yeah. business podcast, we're coming up. Make sure you put in the uh, subject line of your email when you email in business podcast interest. There you go. Thank you, guys. All right, thanks a lot, everybody. All the best. Have a great weekend.